In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Poor Thomas. For some 2,000 years, the whole church has referred to him as Doubting Thomas. Yet the text doesn't say doubting except in some modern translations. It says faithless, or perhaps more literally, unbelieving or disbelieving. But he's still famous for his doubt. He should be known for his brave words in John 11:16, Let us also go that we may die with him, rather than his faithless words in today's gospel. He should be known for his inquisitive words in John 14:5, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? To which our Lord famously replied, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He should be known for his missionary efforts in India. St. Thomas is venerated as the Apostle of India. Tradition holds that he established seven churches along the Malabar coast of India and was martyred on what is known as the Big Hill near Madras while praying. But no, we call him Doubting Thomas. We read this gospel every year on the second Sunday of Easter. And every year, pastors and preachers all around the world think they have to say something like, doubt is a part of faith. I've listened curiously for years and never quite understood what is meant by that phrase, doubt is a part of faith. It seems almost required for preachers to say it, and certainly self-help books and gurus say it, but for some reason the dictionary doesn't say it. Every definition you find has doubt and faith as opposites, not different facets of the same thing. Worse than that, at least for preachers, is that the Bible doesn't say it either. James 1.6, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And what about Hebrews 11.1? Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I think what the preachers and gurus and books want to say is that it's okay to doubt yourself, but I hope they're not saying that it's okay to doubt God. The word we should be talking about is not doubt, but believe. John's Gospel has a lot to say about believe, and not just in John 3.16. John uses the word 83 times in his Gospel, including six times in today's reading. The word in English only appears 35 times in the entire Old Testament. It is 23 times total in the other three Gospels, and only 103 times in the rest of the New Testament. Believe, 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 John says. 83 times he says it, and we want to talk about doubt. What is wrong with us? Belief for John is not just a good idea. Belief is the work of God. In John 6, after Jesus feeds the 5,000, the people ask him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Our Lord replies, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. They, responded, they respond by asking for another sign. He just fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, and they wanted more. In another place, he tells a parable ending with, they wouldn't even believe if someone were raised from the dead. Let's look a little closer at what today's gospel says. I notice that there are three different occasions described here. The first is on Easter night. The last is eight days later in real time. That's today. And the middle is sometime in between. What else? First, Easter night. The disciples are locked in the upper room. Why? Because they are afraid of the Jews. 
They're locked in and Jesus comes and stands among them. He says, peace be with you. He showed his hands and sighed and they were glad. He says again, peace be with you. And then commissions them, breathes the Holy Spirit on them and gives them instructions about the forgiving of sins. It's quite a loaded paragraph, but the main thing I want you to notice is that the disciples say nothing. That is, John records nothing that the disciples said if they did say something. If we were to picture this event in today's culture, all the disciples would be gathering around Jesus, shaking his hand, hugging him, and posing for selfies. I've heard rumors that the disciple Thaddeus was especially noted for his Instagram postings with Jesus, but that's just a rumor. John only records that the disciples are glad. Next, the time in between. Jesus is not in this scene, just, just the disciples who had seen the Lord and Thomas who has not seen the Lord. Thomas says he will not believe unless he can actually touch the risen Christ. I will not believe. It was probably an interesting scene, don't you think? The brave Thomas who had been willing to die with Jesus, who asked Jesus the question that led to the I am the way, the truth, and the life. This same Thomas doesn't even believe the men he spent much of the last three years with. Does he think they're kidding, that they're deluded, that they're nuts? Whatever he thinks of his companions, he does not believe. This brings us to the last scene, eight days after the resurrection, liturgically today. Again, the doors are locked. It seems the disciples still have some fear, even though they have seen the Lord. Again, Jesus comes and stands among them and says, peace be with you. He turns to Thomas, invites him to touch his wounds and says, do not be faithless, but believing. And Thomas responds the only way he can, my Lord and my God. This, by the way, is the only thing said to Jesus in these verses, my Lord and my God. In our contemporary culture, Oh My Lord and Oh My God, or the popular OMG, are omnipresent when something astonishes us. You don't hear goodness gracious or merciful heavens as much as you used to. When I was in college at Indiana University, conversation around the dinner table in the dorm was always quick and witty. For example, my friends Mark, Gary, and I were trading jabs over dinner one evening. Mark whose nickname was Gooch and who's now a vice president at the University of Wisconsin, Gooch would always respond to me by saying, Ben, you're terrible. But on this evening, apparently exasperated at the banter, he just said, geez. I quickly responded with the third commandment, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. I said to him, still exasperated, Gooch responded, all I said was geez. Without missing a beat, Gary quickly said, well, what do you think his friends call him? My Lord and my God. That's what Thomas said. That's all he could say. In the presence of the risen Lord, there really is nothing else to say. As important as these three scenes are, Easter evening, the time between, and eight days later, it is the last two verses of today's gospel that are the most important. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Why are these verses important? Well, because these verses are, in effect, 
the thesis statement of John's gospel. These, that is these signs, are written about that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing you might have life in his name. And while we're talking about believing, what was it that Thomas doubted? What was it that Thomas did not believe? Did Thomas doubt our Lord's divinity? Did he doubt Jesus's love or his goodness? Or did he only doubt our Lord's resurrection? Had he followed Jesus around for these three years, witnessing signs like turning water to wine, feeding the 5,000 and raising Lazarus from the dead, and now he doesn't believe? Just last week, Thomas had seen our Lord wash the disciples' feet. He sat at the Passover meal and heard our Lord say, this is my body, and this cup is the cup of the new covenant, and he doesn't believe? Several years ago, my friend Eric told me a story about one of his parishioners. He was pastor of a Presbyterian church in Temecula at the time. As I remember it, a strong church family had a teenage daughter who now claims she no longer believed. This probably shocks those of you who have been parents of teenagers, right? The parents asked Eric, their pastor, to talk to their daughter, and the doubting daughter agreed to do it, if she really had any choice. Eric sat down with the doubting daughter and asked her what it is that she no longer believes. I believe he took her through the Apostles' Creed and asked her if she still believed each line. Do you believe that God created heaven and earth, etc.? She was, after all, a baptized person who had said the creed many times. If she were bold enough to say she didn't believe something, Eric asked her what changed her mind. What had she read or found to disprove the claims of the creed or the Holy Scriptures? Eric told me that it didn't take long for her to admit the truth. She did believe, but she didn't want to believe. She knew that believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, meant that she would have life in his name, as John says in today's reading. And as little sense as this makes, that was not the life she wanted. She wanted some time to live life. A teenager's life, as I recall, is pretty free of responsibility. And she didn't want the responsibility of saying that she believed in the faith. I wonder what Thomas would have said to the doubting daughter. Eric told me this story at least 10 years ago, so the doubting teenager is now an adult. Like Thomas, she may have encountered our Lord and become, like Thomas, a missionary to a place like India. Perhaps she's saying to her own children, do not be faithless, but believe. May we too, like Thomas, when we see our Lord in all his glory, the only thing we'll be able to say is, my Lord and my God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.